We get it. Making new relationships and strengthening existing ones is not always easy. Sometimes we wonder if we are establishing good friendships in our lives, or even if we're a friend others would want to have in their life. We long for people with which we can share the moments of joy, spend our day with, confide in. We crave authenticity and depth with one another. But how do we even get there? The good news is, the Bible has answers for improving our relationships and being the kind of friend others deserve. We need this because we're better together. Good morning, family. Good morning, family. How are you this morning? Uh, my name is Xavier Maryland. I get the wonderful privilege of serving as our high school pastor. Uh, that's just like a normal pastor. We do everything the same, except I typically do it in skinny jeans. And so it'll be, it'll be a good time for us today to dive into uh, some scriptures. Uh, before we jump in, though, I will petition you just to keep Pastor Mark and his wife in your prayers. Of course, you know that a few weeks ago he did contract, he and his wife did contract COVID, but they're well on their way to recovery and he is feeling much better. I talked to him and he's just really, really, really excited about starting this next series, Back to the Future, starting next week. So just keep them in your prayers throughout the week as you think about them. Uh, this Sunday is a pretty special Sunday because we actually have a few of our students in the room. So student ministry, do you mind just clapping your hands and making some noise and making your prayer? I see you guys. It's so good. Celebrate our students getting a chance to, to worship together with us. Okay, so if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been in a series called Friends. And we were talking about, we've talked about being friends with God and some enemies of friendship. And we're going to actually wrap up and put a bow on the entire series today. But I thought about how much of a travesty it would be for us to teach on friendship for a couple of weeks. And you might happen to be sitting beside somebody or there might be somebody in the chat with you today that you don't know. So if you would do me a favor, just lean over to the person next to you, maybe somebody in front of you or behind you. If you don't know them, just introduce yourself, tell them your name, and then just tell them, I'm happy that you are here today. I'm happy that you're here today. Even down in the chat, you can type and say, I'm happy that you are here today. Look at us already exuding our biblical principles and models, even before we get started today. It's, it's wonderful. Great. To get started today, I want you to think back. I want you to think back to when you were in elementary school. I know it was a long time ago, but it's okay. Just think back to when you were in elementary school, and uh, maybe elementary school was a lot different for you. Maybe you grew up in a different country, or maybe you remember they not having cell phones. Maybe you even remember when TV used to go off at a certain time, like they just didn't program past like seven or nine o'clock, just nothing. Uh, whatever it is you remember, and on this particular elementary school week, it's a Saturday morning. I want you to imagine that you and your friends are planning your favorite Saturday morning game. And so maybe you're going to go out to the park and play kickball or baseball or football or soccer or whatever it is 
that you're going to play together. Maybe you're going to jump rope or maybe you're going to play hopscotch or whatever it is you're going to play together. So everybody is excited and you show up on a Saturday morning ready to stay out there all day. And you know that if you need water, then there's like a water hose or if you're from the country like I am, you call it a water spigot on the side of the house. And you know that you could drink from that water all day. It's like manna from heaven. It just keeps being renewed for you. And uh, so you and your friends are having a good time. Your team is winning and everything is great. And then someone, just like every Saturday, someone gets angry for some reason. You don't know why, but then they start accusing people of cheating. They say, hey, no, we were winning. Somebody confuses the score. I will never understand how we scored six, y'all scored two, but somehow it's always tied near the end of the game. And so what happens is you accuse somebody of cheating. Everybody gets mad. There's yelling. There's a, you know, some bickering back and forth. That one elementary kid says that word that he overheard his parents say. We freeze for a minute to make sure we're not going to get in trouble. And then we start bickering again. And then all of a sudden, the person who showed up for the game with the ball. It happens every time. They grab the ball and they say, I'm taking my ball and I'm leaving. Since we can't play together right, I'm leaving. And they ruin the game for everyone. So you take your ball, you go home, you sit in the house and because you don't have cell phones, you might not see those friends the rest of the weekend or maybe even the rest of the week if you're on some type of vacation. But for some reason, when you get back in person, the next time it's friendships, you don't talk about it. You just play the game again. And then somebody gets mad all over again. And you take the ball all over again. And it's a funny story and it makes sense to us. But the truth is that many of us treat our real life relationships right now the same way we did when we were in elementary school. That everything is fine, but the moment that my boundaries are crossed, the moment that someone makes me angry, the moment that I feel violated by a friendship, the moment that we don't see eye to eye on how we voted or how we feel about the vaccine or how we feel about coming to church, we take our metaphorical ball and we run. And we cut off people and we quit jobs. We leave connect groups. We change churches. We move cities because we never were willing to embrace a biblical model of friendship and conflict resolution. And either we find ourselves ignoring problems just for them to to continue to resurface, or we lose friendships altogether. So today, um, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus gives us a biblical model for how you and I are supposed to repair damaged friendships, on how we're supposed to work through those conflicts together. Uh, But before we get started, I think there are just a few myths that we need to dispel about friendship that give us a framework for what Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew chapter number 5. And the first myth is this, I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly, and is that a good friendship ignores problems. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're driving in your car and as you drive, the check engine light comes on and rather than try to figure out what goes on or what's happening with the check engine light, you just take some masking tape and just put it over the dashboard. You know, I don't need to know if I'm running out of gas, don't need to know if the engine's going to blow up. It'll be all right. If I just ignore it, I'm sure that light will go off eventually. Look, boom, perfect, fixed. Um, Now, here's the deal. We all know people who can do that. You can do that right now, but we know that eventually there's a catastrophe coming and that's the same thing that happens in our relationships, that if you and I are going to ignore problems, it's only going to eat away at our friendships from the inside out. And here's what the Bible addresses. It knows and we know that what is happening in your physical relationships with people will affect your relationship with God. 
Number two, number two myth. You, I, I was looking at some people, they didn't like it, so I want to move on. Uh, number, number two, a good friendship means always giving in. You become a yes person. You become a doormat. And the truth is that the Bible doesn't call us to do that either. That the Bible is not encouraging you and I just to continue to say yes and to have peace at any cost. There's a such thing as cheap peace. There's a such thing as cheap grace, which comes because I ignore problems, I don't address issues, and I don't restore friendships, but I become a doormat and I just do what everybody else wants to do. And I compromise what I feel. I compromise what I think. I compromise my morals. I compromise my values. I compromise my desires. And I just get rid of all of those things. I almost get rid of who I am as a person because I want this friendship or this relationship to work. And that's a myth about friendship. Number three myth about friendship is this, is that a good friendship never experiences anger. There's actually an appropriate kind of anger. It's mentioned in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the, do not let the sun go down while you're, you are angry. And here's the deal. Appropriate anger limits its duration and intensity. That it is not wrong to be angry. You and I will be angry with people. And normally friendships and in relationships we get angry normally either become somebody crossed a boundary or there's some type of, type of broken expectation. I expected you to do one thing, you didn't do it. Or I expected you not to do something and you did do it. And when those boundaries are crossed, that's how you and I end up in tensions in our friendships and in our relationships. I expected you when I let you borrow my lawnmower to bring it back maybe in a week, maybe two, maybe three, four weeks at most. I did not expect you to keep my lawnmower so long that you thought it was yours and I had to come rustle it from you. And as a result, there's a little bit of tensions there. It, there's tensions in our other relationships. Hey, I expected your mother, my mother-in-law, your mom to come visit us maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, three times a year if you include Easter. I did not expect her to be here every single month. But the truth is, now I have these broken expectations and I am angry. And the truth is that I have to learn to limit the duration and intensity of my anger before I am going into my conflicts. Man, we are only like three minutes in and this is tough. But I think if we get this right, you and I can embrace biblical, healthy friendships. This is something I've had to do in my own life recently about four and a half, five years ago when I first moved to Dallas. I know I lived in Dallas. I'm sorry, Houston. Um, when I first moved to Dallas, I had a very close friend. I won't, you know, I won't bore you with all the details, but long story short, something happened and our friendship and our relationship lost a lot of trust. And although we used to talk every day and you know, we were both about to get married around the same time, those not days not talking turned into weeks. And then the next thing you know, I hadn't talked and I was on Facebook the other day because Apparently I was still on Facebook and I saw he, he recently got married and he's had a kid already and we hadn't talked in over two years. And those types of things happen all the time, a natural drift in our relationships. And he and I started this process that we're gonna outline in Matthew chapter five today of restoring a damaged friendship and relationship. 
We have an, an acrostic for you. We're going to jump in and read. We have an acrostic for you, uh, for my students in the room. If you've never heard of an acrostic, it's really, it just means we take a word and we assign a phrase to each letter in the word to help you remember something better. It's a little tool. It's like a briefcase to take your learnings in. And uh, this acrostic is peace. It's the word P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E, not like a piece of food that you might be craving right now, but like peace. And uh, we're going to learn this peace acrostic today. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 21. In Matthew chapter 5, we get the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the these people, blessed are the these people. And Jesus does all of this teaching. And what you find is after those chapters, when Jesus talks, he will address in detail something that he mentioned in a moment. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be sons or children of God. And then later in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he goes through this model for how you and I are to make peace. And that's where we are right now in verse 21. It says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus said, I want to make this more about what we do and don't do, or less about what we do and don't do, and more about what's happening inside of our minds and inside of our hearts. He says, but I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Pause, just repent right now in your mind. It's okay. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Verse number 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and as you're at the temple, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I was waiting because I thought there might be about four or five people who just got up and left. Um, but, But Jesus says here, I'm so serious about reconciling relationships that even if you're in the place of worship, if it comes into your mind that you have offended someone, I want you to stop what you're doing and go and be reconciled and then come back for your time of worship. He gives us this responsibility as Christians to be peacemakers, not people who just desire peace, but people who go out of their way to mend broken relationships. And that brings us to the the first P in this acrostic or the only P in this acrostic, which is the first thing I have to do if, if you and I are going to rebuild a damaged friendship or relationship, we have to put up a mirror, put up a mirror. It simply means when a situation happens, when I offend someone or they offend me, or when we're sitting around a big meeting table and somebody says something and you can feel everybody's hands start jittering a little bit, it means that before I think about what was done wrong to me or before I think about why somebody's going to be angry at me, I sit there and I put up a mirror and I say, hey, what have I done to contribute to this situation? Even if you stop talking to me or even if you're angry at me or even if I'm angry at you, it doesn't matter. Those things are not my primary concern. My primary focus is to stop and look right in the mirror and say, what have I done to contribute? Why am I angry? Why am I feeling this way? Why, what did I do that could have possibly caused these things to happen? And if you and I, if the first thing that pops into our head when conflict arises is not ourselves, not how we've been hurt, but how we can be better, then we've started reconciliation the wrong way. 
The struggle is that when you and I get angry, it bubbles up and the only thing I can think about is righting the wrong. I want things to be better. I want to fix what was wrong. But if we don't first stop and take a moment and reflect and let my anger calm down and let me get out of the heat of the moment, then you and I will be on the road to hurt people and to have broken relationships for the rest of our life. The first step that we have to do if we're gonna mend a broken friendship is to first put up a mirror and ask, how have I contributed? Put up a mirror. Everybody say the word mirror. Mirror, that's a trick I do with our students. It kind of helps them lock it in. Um, Put up a mirror. Number two, number two, uh, if we're gonna gonna pursue uh, rebuilding broken friendships and relationships, is I have to empathize with their feelings. Empathize with their feelings. First Peter chapter three, verse eight says, be full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. We have to ask ourselves and be mature enough to say, what is going on in their world? What is going on in their world? Not my world. What is going on in their world? And then we have to take this a little bit deeper because sympathy says, I'm sorry you hurt. I feel, hey, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I hate that you have to experience that. I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. I'm sorry that you can't drive. It is one of those things that I'm sorry you hurt. But empathy says, I hurt with you. And this process of putting ourselves in the other person's shoes gives us an ability to give them grace. And you essentially, when you're trying to repair a damaged friendship or relationship, have to go out of your way and list reasons that a person needs grace. And in order to do that, you have to ask yourself, what are they feeling? Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe it's been a long week. Maybe they've transferred jobs two or three times. Maybe they had a past coworker who treated them the wrong way. Maybe they had a family friend who recently passed away. Maybe they're struggling in their own character, in their own personality right now. And you and I have to be mature enough to say, can I put myself in their shoes? And in that moment, I don't have to understand why they are offended. I don't have to understand why they are angry. I don't have to understand why they are upset. All I have to do is be able to relate to the fact that they are offended or upset. I might not understand why you're upset, but I know what it's like to be upset and to not feel hurt. I might not understand why it is that you make the decisions that you make, but what I do understand is what it feels like to not have support. And I use the emotions that God has given us to relate to the pain in the other person. That's why the Bible says I mourn with those who mourn and I weep with those who weep because that empathy puts us in place to give people grace. And right now, there are people in your life who you have written off or people who have written you off and friends that you haven't talked to in a long time. And rather than sitting and waiting for them to come to you or sitting and waiting for them to apologize, we should go first after asking ourselves, hey, what might they be feeling? We should try to put ourselves in their shoes. First thing I have to do is to put up a mirror. And after I've put up a mirror and then I've empathized, that should have given me enough time to calm down from my anger or my offense. 
Because here's the deal, I don't wanna approach people when my blood is still boiling. I don't wanna approach people when the wound is still fresh. But after I've gotten past those things and after I've spent time with God, God asking God, how can I move past this situation? How can I get over the offense? Then I start going to the person, and it's this next word, is to accept personal responsibility. I go to the person to accept personal responsibility. Remember in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, Jesus said, hey, if you are praying and you remember that you offended somebody, meaning you did wrong, you go and find the person and you fix it. That's what he said. But then in Matthew chapter 18, I thought we were gonna get kind of a, you know, a little bit of a pass because I'm like, yes, so if somebody offends me, they also should come to me, Jesus. But that's not what he says. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says this. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately. Point out the offense. So on one hand, if I am offended, I am to go. And on the other hand, if I offend someone, I am to go. And Jesus challenges us, the believer, in both situations to be the bigger person and to approach the situation and to be the person who starts the reconciliation process and who starts walking towards peace. And right now, we have family members, and right now, we have friends who, if we're being honest, we haven't accepted personal responsibility and approached them first. That, that if we're being honest, we haven't done what Jesus has called us to do here. We haven't approached the situation. We haven't called out the elephant in the room. We haven't lovingly talked to the person about how we want this relationship to work or function. But what we do is we get uncomfortable. We get comfortable being uncomfortable and we let the distance and the gap and the time drive us away from each other. Jesus goes on to say, if the person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. But if you've been unsuccessful, take one or two others with you that everything may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This does not mean do that thing that some Christians do where you pray gossip. Hey, guys, just put it in a group chat. I think we need to be praying for Georgia because she said some things to me that I really don't like. Think we need to be praying for Steve because he stole from me and he might be struggling right now. Pray for them. No, that's, that's gossip. That's gossip. We've all been there for that person. No, don't be like that. It is, hey, in love, I approach the person and I tell them about the offense. And here's the hard part about this. During this time, I'm not doing this with any expectation of any type of response. I'm not even trusting that the other person is doing this for me. I'm not trusting that in that moment they've calmed down from their anger. I'm not trusting that in that moment they've put up a mirror. I'm not trusting that in that moment they've accepted personal responsibility. I am simply going to do what Jesus has charged me to do in the moment out of obedience, not out of expecting some type of reciprocation. Because if I go expecting reciprocation, I've made this a personal pride issue and me, about me being defended, uh, offended versus I have about loving the other person. And even right now, many of us, you're thinking about people in your life who could use this message because that's what I did. When I was thinking about it, I was like, oh boy, could my brother afford to call me and put up a mirror and apologize for some things that he said to me. But in that moment, I'm missing the point of what Jesus is saying, which is you and I have the burden of accepting personal responsibility. And we do this 
not only for our friends, not only for our spouses, but for fellow church members, for coworkers. We do it for our children. Children, we do it for our parents. We do it for people. We always initiate and accept personal responsibility. You have to take responsibility by acknowledging your role and apologizing. And when you apologize, don't say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Online audience, I'm just looking at you because other people are looking at me. (laughs) Don't say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. You want to say, hey, I'm sorry because I hurt you by doing this. And you want to own it and take responsibility, even if what you're responsible for is your reaction. Hey, something bad happened between us and I cut you off. Something bad happened between us and I said something that I really didn't mean. Something bad happened between us and I said something that I really did mean. I just said it in the wrong way. Something bad happened between us and I accept personal responsibility for the part that I have played and I apologize for it. In every situation, I promise you, think about any situation you have in your life, you have a reason to apologize and something to accept personal responsibility for. Accept personal responsibility. Uh, the, uh, The last two is this. The fourth step is to collaborate as much as possible. Now, some of you try to fill in your blanks early because you make a little game about trying to beat the preacher to the word. You thought the word was compromise. See, it used to be compromise, but we changed it to collaborate. So we tricked you. The, the word collaborate, the reason we do that is because compromise sometimes feel like I'm willing to lose a little bit as long as you're willing to lose a little bit. And when we both lose, everybody wins. But collaboration says, I'm not focused on what I'm giving up, but I'm focused on what I want, which is our relationship to work. And because I want our friendship and our relationship to be healthy, I am willing to sacrifice and be flexible in key areas of my life. Not because I want to lose, but because I want us to win. And I want us to win more than I mind this part of my life losing. See, I'm going to use an example. I'm going to use my wife, for example, because my wife is my best friend. Um, That's what you say, aw. Okay. There's a guy in here. He's like, I've been married 15 years. You just wait. Uh, And uh, I'm praying for you, sir. And uh, here's the deal. My wife is my best friend. And oftentimes when we have disagreements or arguments, it's really because we're not speaking the same language. Uh, She says something and I hear something completely different. I say something, she hears something completely different. Let me give you an example. There'll be a day uh, she'll come home or she'll be on her way home from work. I got off work a little early that day. And so I got home and I rolled up the sleeves. I pulled out the bleach and I started scrubbing. I got the baseboards and all the stuff that men normally don't clean. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a shower and everything. And I clean the whole house. And the area is spick and span. It's spotless because I want to do something nice for my wife when she walks in. And she walks in and she says, oh, my goodness. This is what she says. Then I'm going to tell you what I hear. She says, oh, my goodness, babe. This is gorgeous. And then she walks through the living room and says, hey, do you mind dusting the console next time? Yeah. And that's what she says. But what I hear is, you're a horrible human being. You have no idea what clean is. And every time you do something for me, I'm going to ask you for 20% more just to see how much you're willing to give up. Now, that's not what she says, but that's what I hear. That's what my heart says. So I get angry. I get offended. And the same thing happens with me. See, she'll come home. I'll come home after she's cleaned the entire house and all of that stuff. And then I'll sit on the couch and say, babe, this looks great. And then I utter those three words. 
that I'm never supposed to say, but they just pop in my head every night and I say, babe, what's for dinner? And that's what I say, but what she hears is, I know you've spent all your day cleaning and cooking, or cleaning, and I know that you've done all of this, but next time I need my plate on the table when I sit down. That's what she heard, that's not what I said. But we have these different things, and sometimes in the middle of a conversation, we have to remind ourselves, hey, we are on the same team. What both of us want is a clean house and food. What both of us, we both want that all the time. What both of us want is to have a healthy relationship in marriage. What both of us want is to be happy. Let's work towards that together. And there are people right now who have different thoughts than you, different beliefs than you, and they have offended you in multiple ways. And what would it look like for you to approach the situation and say, hey, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye on every issue, but what I'm believing is that we both want the same thing. We both want a healthy friendship. We both want to grow in the Lord or to grow in Christ. And because of that, I'm willing to give you grace. I'm willing to accept responsibility. And I'm going to assume the best about you in every relationship that I enter into. We have to collaborate as much as possible. As a matter of fact, James 3.17 says, wisdom is peace, loving, and courteous. It allows discussion. It is willing to yield to others. Wisdom is willing to yield. Wisdom is willing to collaborate. Wisdom is willing to bend. That means it is foolish to be inflexible. Not me calling you foolish, the Bible. Don't send an email to my boss, please. I didn't say it, the Bible. Address your email to at Jesus. Um, the last thing we have to do is we have to emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. See, reconciliation means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means that I resolve every issue. And there are times where we won't ever see eye to eye on particular issues. There are things that you will keep having conversations about over and over and over again. But the truth is that I don't have to see eye to eye on every issue. What I have to learn to do is to value the relationship. I have to learn to agree to disagree in an agreeable fashion. And when I do that, what I do is I put the relationship above being right. I care more that you and I are on the same page, that we are united, than I care about us being uniform on every single issue and thought. In this room, there are different people. In your connect group, there are different people. And you don't have to see eye to eye on every issue. But what you can do is say, hey, I want to unite with you. I want to continue this relationship, even if we disagree about some major things. That's okay, because I care more more about you than I care about this situation and that I care about this issue. I care more about you than I care about the mistakes that you made. I care more about you than what you said to me. I care more about you than how you treated me 10 years ago. Dad, I care more about you than how you might have treated my mom 20 years ago. I care more about you than the secrets you kept from our family. I care more about the relationship than I do about every single issue. And for me, I always have like something that just kind of clicks in my head. And for me, when I was thinking about issues, I kind of see issues kind of like this balloon here. And so what happens is you and I are in relationship with people, but then all of a sudden something happens and it offends us. I thought you said you were going to be there and you weren't there. 
We start to blow up the issue. You said that you were going to be there to support my kid in their kindergarten graduation. And even though I was there for your kid, you weren't there for mine. We planned a big couples trip together. Everybody was about to pay their money and you backed out because no couple trip ever goes well. You asked me to help you support your business and I said no. And I thought that should be okay, but you got offended by that. And now I'm mad that you're mad at me for not giving you the money that you asked me for. I figured out that on Sunday, you root for the Cowboys. And the point is that we have all of these issues in life. And what happens is we blow these issues up so much to the point that now when I'm standing face to face with somebody, I can no longer see them for the person and the human that they are. I can no longer see them for the friend that I love. I no longer see them as my husband. I no longer see them as my spouse, as my family member, as my connect group member, as my brother and sister in Christ. I no longer see the person who cut me off in traffic as somebody who God loves and might want me to minister to. I only see them for the issue that I blew up so much and made it bigger than that person was. I made a simple human problem bigger than God's child. And now all of a sudden, I don't care about our relationship. I don't care about our children. I don't care about the job. And so I'm willing to leave my church. I'm willing to leave my family. I'm willing to leave all of this stuff. Why? Because I made an issue bigger than a person. I made a problem bigger than a person. I wanted to be right more than I wanted to be reconciled. And I cared more about you and more about this thing than I did about anything else. And the only thing I I can ever see is the problem. I don't connect anymore. I don't love the way I'm supposed to because I only see the problem. And so what we have to learn to do, what God is calling us to do, is to deflate the issue, not to the point that it's gone. It might not ever go away. But if I can get it small enough to where I can still see you as a person and I can still look at you and say, you are someone that God loves and you are a friend of mine. And regardless of what we didn't see eye to eye on, the Lord still can do something powerful in our friendship and in our relationship. I have to be willing to deflate the issue. And here's the deal. Sometimes you have to forgive people who haven't asked for forgiveness. Sometimes I have to be willing to forgive whether the person asked for it or not. And why am I willing to do that? It's because Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The Bible says, not when you ask for forgiveness. The Bible says, not when we finally got it all together and you put on your polo shirt and you finally made it to Sugar Creek. The Bible says that it wasn't when you finally got your life together and you started treating people better and you started tithing and giving Jesus died for you. No, the Bible says is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, not the godly, not the people who got it together, not the people who asked for forgiveness. What Jesus did was he deflated the issue enough to love us and die for us, even though we had sin. And he's calling us to do the very same thing in our relationships and in our friendships. And you're not asking people to be perfect. You're not even asking people to be right. 
But you're saying, God, just as it says in the book of Romans, as far as it depends on me, on me, I will live at peace with all men. Whether you're online or in the room today, and you want to pray with somebody because either you've never been baptized and you don't know this forgiveness that Jesus is talking about. Or maybe there's a relationship that when you think about it, you get such a visceral reaction that you just want to talk to a pastor. Then even in our digital connection or online and then right out here to this glass room, we have pastors and counselors in there ready to speak with you about whatever it is that you need. And so I want us to pray together. And after we pray, you can head to your next step. God, thank you so much that you gave us the model for what it looks like to love someone who seems unlovable. So God, remind us as we prepare to forgive people just how much you had to forgive us. Father, in the book of Isaiah, you said, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and for my own sake, I choose not to remember. And that's the truth, Father. It's not that you forget, but God, you place those things as far as the east from the west so that you can continue to treat us like your sons and daughters. And what we're asking is, God, that you would give us that strength to remove people's faults from them and to see them as a person and not a problem. Help us to deflate the issue and pursue reconciliation over resolution. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.